podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Chels. Blimey. Once one goal goes in, loads of goals go in. And I don't oh, mean Vince. just for us. Oi, oi, oi. Nobody knows you're here yet. Shh. Oh, secret, secret. That's a secret guest. We'll introduce in a minute. But, okay, well, look, we better get on with the intros. First of all, he's here. The man of the flicking V signs at me all day long. It's Mr. Andy Saunders. There right, he goes. I'm all right. Uh, yeah, I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, I wasn't here last week. Did you have fun no. without me? Oh, it was so peaceful. <laughs> it was... <laughs> no, it was. it was. It was good last week. Of course I missed you, Andy. You know, who is there else that can read out the teams like you do and come, come with that insight that only you have? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, we missed you. We'll always miss you, Andy. But um, but yeah, how's your week been? Uh, it's been okay. It's a bit of a blur, really. I'm just sort of trying to get everything done before Christmas, as I'm sure everybody is. You know, I feel like a bit of a... I'm not a builder, but I feel like a builder. With everybody saying, I need my extension finished before Christmas. Everybody wants everything done before Christmas. So it's a sort of mad rush, really. I think it's going to get quieter next week, hopefully. Um, but yeah, all a bit of a blur at the moment. Yes. No, I, I know what you mean. Well, I'm just trying to get well for for christmas as it were and and uh yeah we'll see how that goes i mean it's a bit weird because we're doing the podcast in the middle of the week uh which is a very unusual thing for us to do the main podcast so we're just going to do one for anyone who's listening we're just doing one podcast this week because of course you'll be getting this on wednesday night thursday morning or whatever so here we are now look our special guest today, you heard his voice, just a, a smattering of his vocal cords. But you can tell it's someone who knows how to talk and to enunciate. It's none other than actor Trevor Bloody Led. Hey, Hello, hey, Trev. Hey. Hello, Kerry. How are you, dear boy? And Andy. And uh, oh, uh, thank you, Andy. I'll give you both these signs. Oh, well done. Uh, yeah, you see, you're much better at it. Kerry went very early. He went pre-show. He went very early. Yeah, but that's uh, why I did it. Get it out of the way because it's so childish. Trev, what you in, are you in panto, Trev, at the moment? No, do you know what? I've only ever done one panto in my life in Coventry many years ago. No, I just finished a show at Chichester Festival Theatre and I've been doing some corporate work for the HS2. Have you? Uh, what, corporate videos? Well, well, no, it's actually live. We do, we've been doing training them in EDI. 30 workers, oh. four times a day. EDI, you know, equality, diversity and inclusivity yeah. Yeah, and all of that, you know. So it's been fun, you know. And we go up, well, in the London part of the HS2, Ricelip and North Holt and bits around there. And So you're not digging up it? In, no, no, we're training the construction workers and ladies. And how are they? How are they? How are they reacting to to your teachings? Are they interested, or are well, they are they positive? The ladies are very, you know, been really up for it because I mean, obviously, there's a, a lot of it is around sexism and mm -hmm. so on. And we we used, funny enough, we used the football thing as the sort of starting off point, and we asked various scenes around the whole taking the knee issue. Right. You know, and uh, in football, you know, because we're all football fans. The two, there's three actors, two lads, and a lady. You know, and uh, so then uh, there's chat without me when I come on, and it's what's going on. And it was, you know, they should just get on with the game, all this bloody politics. And I say, for the last, you know, and then, so the scene goes. Then we're being sexist. Right. And he, he's got, and then the other guy's got a hidden disability, he's dyslexic, and I'm his manager, and I co swear at him, you know. And then we have discussions with the, the guys about it, most of whom think, you know, that's right. One ex-soldier, that's bloody right. Why are they taking the knee? I mean, it shows they're not into Britain. They should be more in them. <laughs> oh, really? All that? So, so do you do things like unconscious bias and all that stuff? That's right. All of them, you know, the yeah. unconscious bias, you know, ages. You know, we go through a lot, but the main three is race. Yeah, I'm well against ageism these days. Exactly. Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> I, had to do a, I, I had to do an unconscious bias 
I did some lecturing at university and I had to do an unconscious bias course and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And um, actually I found it really interesting, really interesting yeah. because yeah. it does challenge you about uh, about your behaviour that you hadn't really thought of before and by its very nature, unconscious bias is unconscious. And exactly. it's uh, it's really interesting and I, I advise anybody to go and have a look at it because it's a really it's fascinating the way you react to things, how anybody reacts to things, yeah. I think. We've all got unconscious bias. Some of us have got conscious bias as well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. particularly when the, the name Tottenham is mentioned. But... <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, here's, here's a... OK, unconscious bias. Um, leading on from that because this actually sounds interesting but it ties in to something I was going to ask you Trev. Now if I sang at you, are you Chelsea in disguise but specifically at you Trev would you have a clue why I would be saying that? Well it would, um, you know and it could be my unconscious bias and don't forget when me and Phil Daniels he was when we were kids we became close friends because we were the only Chelsea fans around an Arsenal area and then he said to me in about 75, 76, should we start going? And so we did. And people were selling British Bulldog outside Chelsea in those days, you know. And we, you know. So Which was a, a sort of National Front publication exactly. for those that don't know, right? Yeah. And it was quite heavy. I mean, we've had blokes. We were, I mean, I'll never forget being at a Champions League game. You remember when they used to, we couldn't sit at, at the Matthew Harding end because the cameras were there. Yeah. So yeah. we went over to the West End and we were in the bar. And a couple of elderly gentlemen who might have been young in 75, a few scars on their faces, walked straight up to me and said, where were you when we were shit? <laughs> and, you know, and I, of course, naturally being me, I turned around and said, I was that black kid walking past when you were selling British Bulldog. And, he, <laughs> and immediately he started smiling and go, oh, right, oh, you've been coming a long time then, haven't you, mate? <laughs> But that doesn't actually answer my question. If I sing at you, are you Chelsea? We're having a much nicer conversation, Kerry. Uh, okay, right. I'm going to get to the chase now. It's true, because but that could be my unconscious bias. It, 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 assuming it's right. Ignoring me. Yeah. No, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> so, so, okay, I'm going to cut to the chase. So can you imagine, you know, I've been laid up a bit over the last few weeks and watching sort of miles and miles of programmes and things and watching Ted Lasso, which oh, I God. love, which I have to say, all <laughs> shot outside the local pub I grew up in, basically, mm -hmm. in Richmond. Quite amazing. And blow me down. Yeah. Suddenly, these Manchester City fans who, who um, the team are playing in there appear. And I look, I go, hold on, that man taking his seat in a Man City shirt. Yeah, right, it's only that. Trevor bloody led. Trevor. Hold on. Trevor, <laughs> you tart. In, in my, in my defence, I've got to just tell you this, it is an American show and they pay very well. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know the funny thing about that, I've forgotten all about it, but the funny thing about that is they hired out Wembley Stadium and it's the semi-final of the cup and Richmond, that's the invented team, Richmond AFC, I suppose, based on Wimbledon, but a bit further around, you know, are playing Manchester City in the semi-final of the Cup. And this is on the Wednesday when we filmed that scene. And on the Saturday, we, we were playing Manchester City in the semi-final of the Cup. And it was only after we beat them 1-0 that I could admit and send the photos out to, uh, as I did, I sent it to Daniel straight away. And in a flash, the reply came back, wanker. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, man that's a few a, words yes, but we'd, won, we'd won the semi-final so it was alright <laughs> uh, no, did, you, did you feel dirty though putting, did you feel dirty putting it on though I, I would feel I it, you know. but of course these Americans haven't got a clue because all I did was an impersonation of Noel Gallagher that I heard on Talk Sport going <laughs> come on come on let's have it then we'll come back again and have it again <laughs> and that's how I got the part basically <laughs> <laughs> well, Amazing. you know, I was suddenly in Manchester then. I really was. And that must have taken you back to your old days with Oasis, Andy. There's a tear in Andy's eye after yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Top so, man, no. Well, Sorted. anyway, you, you know, there, there we go. Well, I, I think it, it's a dreadful state of affairs. <laughs> but didn't make me laugh because <laughs> I just, I sent it straight away to Phil. He said, Yes, I know, was his only <laughs> reply. <laughs> and a few words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A bit so more you're, than so you're, you're West End lower, aren't you, uh, Trev? Are you looking forward to, to the safe standing sort of revolution? 
Well, here's the thing, Andy, because I read about this in the... I heard it on the news yesterday. I read about it in the paper. I've looked at it. It's all on the fifth stand. And I suddenly think, what's all this about? We've been standing all season. We've been standing for 10 years. Yeah, but at least we've got the official bars now there. That we, but no one has, you know, oh, so it's only happening in January, is it? Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is ludicrous, isn't it? Yeah, but it's it's kind of like the rest of the world doesn't realise what goes on. You know, it's it's bizarre. And I don't think we're the only club who's who's like that either. But, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. But I, I tell you, we should probably carry on on the football tip now that we've started. Uh-huh. I, was, I was listening. Trev, I'd be interested in your opinion. I was listening to uh, Thomas Tuchel's press conference today before the uh, Everton game. And it was quite interesting because it's that time of year where the press, all they really want to talk about first is who's going to be fit again, um, who might be being in the transfer window and also will we get people like Connor Gallagher back which is quite an interesting scenario but it was really funny because he was saying that they also asked him about players out of contract and he was going well you know they 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 know they know how much we want them and we're pretty relaxed about it and they said yeah but they could just sign for anybody in in two weeks time he says now you're making me more nervous about this which I thought was really funny are you nervous about these things, or do you go, you know what, if Rudiger goes, so be it. If Aspi goes, so be it. There's nothing we can do as football fans, but how do you yeah. feel? Do you feel nervous? Because we do have four players out of contract in a minute. All, uh, all defenders. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it is, of course it is nerving, because, I mean, Rudiger's become a sort of legend recently, you know, well, since Tuchel got there anyway. And uh, so you'd love to see Rudy Gustav. I mean, he just is so entertaining, let alone being a good defender and a good uh, penalty getter. But, um, you know, Aspie might go. You wouldn't begrudge Aspie, you know, a last little heyday in his homeland if he goes to Barcelona, you know what I mean? And, you know, uh, obviously Christensen, you'd hope he's, he'd sign, you know. I mean, and, and obviously with Rudiger, he's one of them. He's a bit mad. If he's going to get offered loads of money somewhere, he'll go for it. But I think Marina's probably just playing poker, aren't they? Hopefully, you know, and he's, he wants this. They're holding their cards close to their chest. And when it comes to a couple of weeks' time, suddenly 50 grand extra goes on his pay packet. Maybe. We hope. Well, that's what he's turned down, apparently. They've given him 50 grand more, but he wants more than that. And, you know, yeah. I'm sure, don't you think, Andy, it must be a case footballers at some point go, well, hold on, he's earning more than me and he's actually been a bit crap. <laughs> do you think they get blinded by, by that? And, yeah, they, and they, they, they totally do. Uh, going back to your, you know, sort of original point, um, you know, I always take the kind of alcoholics prayer approach to this. It's like, God, give me the grace to accept the things I can't control. It's like there's nothing we can do about it. There's no point getting upset and, and, and gnashing our teeth about it. As Piliqueta, I think, will go. And Trevor's absolutely nailed it. One last payday in Spain. Why not? You know, and, and he goes with our blessing. He's been an absolute bargain and a brilliant player for us. Uh, Christensen, I do think, will sign. There's no reason why he wouldn't. Um, Silver, I think he'll sign because why not? You know, I mean, why, why up, up, you know, do the whole upheaval thing with your family for one more year? You might as well stay. Um, and Rudiger, I think Rudiger's the wild card. Um, but to answer your specific question, uh, yes, because they have no other way to value themselves. You know, they need that affirmation and they need the affirmation to know they're the top dog in, in the dressing room. And the only way they can value their worth is by comparing themselves to other people. Now, everybody knows that 200 grand a week is a ludicrous amount of money for anybody. Um, but if somebody's earning 250 or 300, then you're going to feel, presumably, slightly inferior. And so the only way you can measure how much you're valued by a club is how much they're going to give you, I think. Yeah, and I guess also, if there's ever a moment in your career at a club to go, you know what, actually, I'm worth more, for someone like Rudiger, it's probably now, isn't it? It is, and, and also exactly. as well, I think, you know, we, we come back to this idea that these are not fans. They are professional sportsmen. It's their job. They have very short careers. You're quite right. They have windows of opportunities spotted by their agents, and the agents will be saying to them, you've got one big 
opportunity here. You're 28 years old. This is your peak. If we're going to do it, we need to do it now. If Chelsea won't give you what you want, we need to go to Bayern, we need to go to Barca, or we need to go to Real Madrid because they're the three clubs, presumably, or City. You know, they're three clubs that you know that, that really you know can can compete at that level. So I don't blame Rudiger. You know, I certainly don't go, well, you, you need to be playing for us because we love you. It's like, it's a commercial decision and we have to accept that. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, the, the other thing, Trevor, I was going to move on to as well. Um, I personally think Rudiger may stay. But um, something else was quite interesting. They, they started the press, really asked him a few times about Conor Gallagher and mm. um, whether that he was thinking of bringing him and even Billy Gilmore back in January, um, which I think was interesting. He was very, very specific about, look, just we did a deal with, with these clubs in August or whenever it was, and we cannot dis- judge a deal we did then as to whether it was a good or a bad deal for us now. Mm-hmm. So I, he wouldn't talk about it. But the the truth is, from what I'm understanding, is that now... Gallagher and Gilmore have played so many games for those clubs that actually in the terms of the contract, they can't come back, which I I never even knew that there was these sort of clauses in there. I I know that in the past we've not got, you know, comeback clauses and we've missed players that we could have got back. But with these two now, they've played quite a lot of games. How do you view that? And, And would you like to see Conor Gallagher back at Chelsea in January if he was able to? Or do you think it's better that he learns where he is under Vieira? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, I've got to uh, see Mr. Tuchel's point and the club's point in a funny way because conversation was look on, you know, you're a great player. I love you. You're a good young player, but look at there's three or four ahead of you for the two spots in midfield. And and as we know, he's even played Reese James in there now, and you know, and Mount can go back in there, and so it's going to be difficult for you game time. And he looks to me, I've not seen him in the flesh, Conor Gallagher, but on the TV, he looks to me like the sort of lad that just loves to play football. And he's probably said, okay, go, you know, to him or the club said, if you go out on loan, we've got a London club, Palace, you know, it's a good opportunity. If you go out on loan, you do well this season, you're back in next season. The midfield's getting old. Who knows what Jorginho is going to do, you know, and so on. And, and he's agreed to this. And, of course, now we've got all the injuries and, you know, various things going on in central midfield and Seoul's not really managed to settle down Yeah, We could very well do with him. because I, And I, I, I can't wait to see him and Mason Mount in the same team. That enthusiasm that those... Because it seems to me that enthusiastic type of all-action player who just runs and runs and runs like Mason Mount does. To have them both in the same team... I mean, you have a week. Didn't, I mean, I can't remember what game it was. Like three, uh, uh, three players from the academy scored in the same game. Was it the Juventus game? You know, with Trevor Chalabas scoring and Reese James scoring. Yeah, and it, you know, we could have. And I was thinking of it the other day. I mean, so Man United in the old days with Beckham and that, we could have five, six, seven academy players in that team in the next couple of years. And wouldn't that be fantastic? You know, so Billy Gilmore, again, I understand uh, from what I know, which isn't much, but what you read in the papers, which isn't always accurate, you know, wanted to go to get football. Now, obviously, until they sacked the previous manager, he wasn't, he'd been left out, but now uh, uh, Dean is playing, Dean Dean Smith's putting back in the side. And it's good for him because he needed to sort of build up his strength a bit. He, again, should be a great player for Chelsea going forward. So it's all good, but... We could definitely do with Conor Gallagher as the way things are with the injuries that are going on in that engine room. Yeah, it's true. And, 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 you know, they're only 21 and 20 each of them. But, Andy, can you understand what what or why there's a clause that if a player's played a certain amount of games for the club they're on loan to that they can't come back? Yeah, I can. I mean, if I was the, the, the club that was loaning Conor Gallagher, in this case Crystal Palace... You know, I'm making a significant investment. Presumably I'm paying, you know, a contribution towards his wages. I'm probably playing a loan fee as well. You know, once you get to a certain point in the season, you've built a team around a certain player. What you don't want is the the owning club to go, actually, we'll have him back because that's hugely disruptive. I think they have a good case to say, we took your player. 
We played him. You know, the, the clause was playing for a certain amount of games. Um, we've done that. You know, he's an integral part of our club. We're going to play until the end of the season. You can have him back. Now, if it's in the case of Billy Gilmore at Norwich when he wasn't being played, if he still wasn't being played in January, I totally get why the club, you know, who owned the player would want him back and put him out somewhere else because the whole point is to go and play football and to become battle-hardened. Now, you know, Thomas Tuchel also said in that press conference, as you mentioned, I'm quite happy with the situation. You know, we had a plan for Connor, which was to go and enjoy his football for a year, to go and play a lot of football, and then come back and be part of the setup. And, you know, and if he's match ready and oven ready, then he's going to be considered for selection along with everybody else. You know, chances are that he's going to be an important part of our midfield for years to come. I can't see anything wrong with the policy. And I think if we had a fully fit Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic, then, you know, Connor Gallagher would be fighting with those for a place anyway. I'd much rather he was there being a big fish in a small pond, getting games under his belt, getting games in his legs, in the same way that, you know, Chalabar did, went out and played all those games, you know, uh, in, in the championship and in France, in the same way that Mason Mount did at Derby, you know, in the same way that uh, Rhys James did at Wigan. You know, these have been amazing experiences for those players and we've got them back as experienced footballers. And so I think although it's frustrating in the short term, it will pay dividends in the long term. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, and he's actually just last thing on Conor Gallagher. He's been uh, part of forty-one percent of Palace's goals, whether that's assists or scoring, oh, yeah, which that. is pretty incredible. All right, well, look, we should actually go to some football from, and we should go back to last week, Zenit St Petersburg away, and um, we'll. We'll talk about also what happened in the Champions League draw after that. <laughs> um, but Andy, the side that went out against Zenit, I mean, we talked about did it matter finishing top or second? And we're sort of going, well, you know, you get a 50% chance of getting Bayern Munich or PSG or whoever it was, uh, Bayern Munich or Real Madrid, mm. and only two possible other sides. Um, so the Zenit game, I thought, was a bigger game than perhaps it turned out to be in the end. I mean, it was a, a strange old side. Um, it. What did you think when you saw that lineup? Well, it was a funny old side, wasn't it? Kepper in goal, um, Malang Sar getting another start uh, in the uh, in the back three alongside Christensen and, and Dave. Uh, the odd one, I thought, was Saul coming in at left wing back, um, you know, with Ross Barkley, uh, Rhys James in the centre of midfield, Hudson Adoy over at, you know, sort of right wing back, and then a fairly conventional front three of uh, Lukaku and Werner with Mount sitting just behind them. So, yeah, a, a few sort of experiments in that, to be honest. And, you know, for the first. You know, for the 10 minutes, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Werner scored off two minutes and we're like, oh, it's going to be easy. Wow, what a genius masterstroke yeah. from Tuchel. Um, and then it was, a, it ended up being a, a really fascinating game, I thought. Yeah, did you, did you um, think the same, uh, Trev? Do you think it was an odd side, but perhaps it was a case of needs must? Perhaps we thought whatever side we'll put out, we're going to win. Were you flummoxed mm-hmm. by what I happened? Think, I think it's a very... Clever guy, Thomas Tuchel. I, you know, I, I really do like him, listening to him speak. And you see what he does. It seemed to me that with the big games we, we had coming up and have got coming up, and he's, Angolo hopefully is fit again and will stay that way for a bit, that he thought, well, we've gone through, we should beat these, I'm going to try something which is a, a win-win. These got people get a chance to play. We need to try and fit Seoul in somewhere. I mean, maybe he can play at wing back. You know, let's try something out, an experiment here. Stick 3C in midfield because, you know what I mean? And he tried things out because, you know, it's one of those, if it doesn't go too well for us, it's not all lost. We're still, you know, in the top two. And look what happened. We did finish second in the group and we've had a, quite a good draw. You know, twice. I mean, although, you know, yeah, twice. <laughs> you know, no team in the last 16 of the Champions League should be taken easily, I suppose. But if any team in that last 16 would be, I suppose it would be Lille. And of the four we could have played, it was Bayern, you know, Real Madrid or, or Ajax, wasn't it? You know, um, that seems a good option, although I would have taken any of them apart from Bayern. But, you know, so I thought he tried something. It almost worked, but I actually think Zenit, St. Petersburg, played very well and they really wanted it. As is what's yeah. going to happen if you're playing against the champions of Europe, you want to make a point. 
you know, so they really went at us and it's in their own backyard, etc. And, you know, they, they wanted it and they, you know, so, and, you know, four minutes into injury time seems to be when we either score or let a goal in these days. So, yeah. And, and I'd say, Andy, do you not think that actually the crux of most of our problems came from the midfield? I think we saw signs that Reese James might be able to do a job there occasionally, but he needs to be with the right person because I, that that midfield was non-existent, wasn't it, Andy? Well, what we've got to bear in mind is that Saul did actually play left wing back for Atletico, you know, and in fact, one of the the um, you know the sources of his dissatisfaction with Atletico was playing there, didn't want to play there, didn't see himself as somebody in that position. So he must have had a horrible flashback when the team was announced and and his position was confirmed. Reese James was Player of the Year in the Championship, playing in centre midfield for Wigan. You know, it's a position he's played lots and lots, albeit not at this elite level. Ross Barkley been in and out, in and out, a little bit rusty, hasn't really had a run of games. So yeah, it was a little bit wobbly, I suppose. Hudson Adoy, we know he, again he can play at wing back, but he's not really somebody that enjoys the defensive element of the game. So it was a little bit, um, it was a little bit, you know, sort of cobbled together. But these are players that have played in those positions. It wasn't as crazy as it looks on paper. Um, there was method in the madness. But I think you're right. It didn't. It didn't provide us with any coherent sort of um, protection for anybody, and it didn't really provide any attacking um, prowess. So it, it, not, it didn't really do anything. It wasn't. It, it was an experiment. Didn't quite work. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I mean, I, for me, I think we found a few things or had a few things confirmed that certain players are just not good enough maybe at the moment or maybe that's how they are I'm not sure Saul is is fitting in um Malang Sar I'm like you Andy I'm worried about his height and he gets caught out of position quite a lot I thought Ross Barkley you saw everything about Ross Barkley there is that can frustrate you in the fact that there was one moment where he went through and there was a ball on for for Lukaku and he ends up trying to have a dig at it and Lukaku just has a complete go at him a right meltdown and well that's not unusual for Lukaku he does that when anybody doesn't pass the ball to him no that's true but lastly the, the point that one person who I think it sums up the problem with him was Kepa Kepa made some world-class saves in the game but that third goal if that's Mendy who's what six seven inches taller he saves it Kepper does brilliantly to get near it but he's just not tall enough what do you think but what's sorry to interrupt and I know this is Trump's answer but um, and I feel quite strongly about this it's like Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Do you know what I mean? Would Mendy have saved the saves that, you know, that, that Kepa did? You know, it's, it's like, I take your point about him being taller, but, you know, what if he was only three inches taller or four inches taller? I don't, it's, it. it's a complete moot point. It doesn't make any yeah. sense, that argument. But don't you think he's just too short for a top-level goalkeeper? Possibly. That's my point. Possibly, yeah. possibly. But, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that it's, you know, it, it serves any purpose to say if it had been Mendy would have saved it, because you don't know that. I don't no, know. No, I, I don't mean... I'm just saying if he had the stature... The problem was he nearly got there. He strained and he got his fingers on it. And he, I just think he's too small a goalkeeper. Mm. It's, it's well, a problem... You know, I mean, so I was going to say, I, I just, I, I want to agree with Andy, really, because I don't see that there's any good uh, purpose served in forever slaughtering Kepper. Yes, I, I like him. I think he's been right brilliant in the games he's played. This year. Right. He refused to come off that cup final. That was a problem. But he's rebuilt himself psychologically. And it's nothing to do with the money. I think he's a good, well, from what you hear, you know, he's good in training. He's a good colleague for, the, for his mates and... He comes in, and he's a he's a goalkeeper. I mean, I mean, how much shorter is he than Pickford? I'm not sure. He's you know, uh, you know, how much shorter? Is yeah, he but I think Pickford's useless. Well, <laughs> I think Kepa's a much better keeper than than Pickford. Well, without exactly, doubt. I think I think Kepa's a decent keeper. And, and Phil was saying to me at the weekend that uh, it looks to him like Mendy's lost his nerve now with his feet. Because of what happened, you know, obviously that uh, poor pass he made the other week, it was a wonderful strike from the Zenit player, you know. And many any keeper that was going to save that, that was going to be a, a fantastic save. And Mendy's made some, and as you say, Kepa made some in the game himself. 
So it's a difficult one, and uh, you know, as you say, as Andy said, woulda, coulda, shoulda. You know, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'm not doing it in that way to compare. I just, I'm just talking about the stature of him because anything look, could, low could, down, could, he's yeah, brilliant. Look, could I, could I make an example, for example, about centre backs? All right. Yes. So you'd say, you know, goalkeepers need to be really tall. You could make the same argument about centre backs, really. John Terry, one point eight seven meters, right? John Terry was a big, solid, classic centre back. Thiago Silva. 1.83. Thiago so Silva's not a big centre-back, right? Do you look at Thiago Silva and go, well, if he was, you know, if he was three or four inches taller, it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, I think it's like, I understand what you're saying, Kerry, but I think it's being used, I think, as, as, as Trevor alluded to, as a stick to beat him with, and that's what I don't like. I don't want to beat. I don't want to beat Kepper because I like him. I think he's a really decent keeper. I just don't think he's big enough in the way that you know. You always talk about defenders need a certain amount of height, Andy, and you know you. you but I just you made the example about, of Silver, who is. I know, tall. but in the past, you you're always talking about the height of defenders. The height is so important to have in you, your defence. You have to have some height in there. There's no point having yeah. three Thiago Silvers, but a yeah. Thiago Silva in there alongside. You know, Christensen, Rudiger, Chalaba, whatever, really whatever combination good, but, it is. Yeah. But the point is, nobody says Thiago Silva's not tall enough. He can't get to the headers. He's, you know, he's whatever. He has other strengths. You know, he has brilliant reading of the exactly. game, positional reading. And I think Kepa's strengths are shot stopping. He reads the ball well. Yeah, he didn't reach that ball. But as I say, I, I think it's a moot argument and one that I've seen played out a lot on social media and it irritates me. I know that's not your motive, Kerry. I'm not saying that you're, you know, sensationally trying to, you know, to rubbish Kepa. I know you're or not but unfortunately it is used as a stick by a lot of people to beat him with and I think that's unfair interesting point that because with the Thiago Silva point alright he's nearly 38 years old or certainly 37 he has learned how to play it, it with his height and if you remember when he first arrived he was saying or we read he was saying certainly on the fifth stand that he was getting headaches every game through because I mean English football there is so much aerial play going on but mm. he's the type of fella who can adapt himself. He's a thinking man, it seems, and he's adapted himself to be able to deal with that. You know, so maybe there's still some learning for Kepler. He's a young fella. I think he's a good goalkeeper. He had some psychological issues because of, you know, being left exposed a bit in the previous regime and uh, and also things that he'd done himself. And I think he might yet, and I've said this to Phil always gives me a bad time over it. I've said I think he might actually turn out to, I mean, maybe not to be worth 70 mil, but turn out to be a decent goalkeeper, you know. You know. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I, I, look, my, my last thought is that Kepper is by far and away a much better goalkeeper than the one we signed. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about it. Mm -hmm. He's worked at it. You can see. You can see he comes to try and take the ball. He, you can see he's got more confidence about him. And you can see that the defenders have a lot more confidence than they used to have in him. And I, I think that's all power and testament, A, to the coaching staff, but also to, to Kepper. Can well, I just make one point before yeah, we come off the of Kepper thing? Peter yep. Bonetti. Yeah. Who's giant. Oh, yeah. He just <laughs> crouched. Peter Bonetti, you know, I mean, he wasn't a big goalkeeper, was he? No, he you know, wasn't. He was 5'11 or something, wasn't he? He was 1.8, you know, and, and, and Kepa's bigger than him. And so, uh, you know, it, it, the height thing, yeah, of course, if somebody's going to shoot from distance, it goes in the top corner, you know, you know, maybe the kid that's like three inches tall or four inches tall is going to save it. However, usually those goals are worldies. And, you know, the goal that was scored by Zenit in the injury time was an absolute banger, you know, banger. and I don't think we could lay money on the fact that Mendy would have saved it anyway. Might have reached it but he may not have saved it but you know so so I think you know interesting debate interesting conversation one that's going to rumble on definitely and there's a lot of merit in in being a big goalkeeper but you know we've had our, our probably our most legendary goalkeeper was small so you know yeah. can, can I can I give can I have one small anecdote about Peter Benetti go Daniels, of course go for it Daniels and I many years ago in the 80s when we were young we used to play football for the TV entertainers 11 charity football well, I won't go through who the team were, but, you know, they're all luminaries that you would know. And we once played a team which had Peter Osgood and Peter Bonetti playing against us. Wow. Right? A charity game, right? And what a, a Peter, Peter Osgood in the bar afterwards. What a lovely guy. But Peter Bonetti scored a hat-trick in that game. He played centre-forward. All of them far post headers. I've never seen a bloke who could jump so high from a standing start. 
Peter well, there Burnett. you go. You I'll know, never forget. He, jumped, he just sprang straight, three foot up in the air. Bang. Three goals, all from all far, far post headers. He scored a hat-trick. You ask Phil, this you remember, because, of course, it's Chelsea. You know what I mean? So, again, it's athleticism. They didn't call him the cat for nothing, and he could he could spring. He could do it. Well, as we know, you know, we were old enough to have seen him play. Well, not live. I didn't, actually. But, you know... Uh, well, no, it's a really good point. I mean, I'll tell you another, another one of our, our, I wouldn't say legendary player, but certainly one of our, our sort of cult players who was a small defender with an amazing leap was Frank Sinclair. There you go. You yeah. know, Frank Sinclair, not the not the tallest guy in the world, but what a, what a spring. Jump. Yeah, he beat mm. most people in the air. So there you go. Look, yeah. that's why I brought up this subject, because look at the stories we've got out of it. So you chew know. up 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's good. It's good, you know. All right, well, lastly, just before we go to the commercial break, what what did you think of the Champions League draw? Did we or did we not think it was an absolute farce? And what were the... I was so depressed when they said they're going to redraw, thinking, oh, God, yeah. we're never going yeah. to get Lille again. That that just doesn't happen twice. Yeah. And Lightning did, didn't it, Andy? Well, do you know what? I didn't watch it. I was away. I was working. I was out of town. And so, you know, I was in a meeting and my phone was vibrating in my pocket, you know, when your phone's blowing up in your pocket and you think, oh, God, something terrible's gone wrong. You know, I mean, somebody's desperately trying Wait to get hold of me. And when I eventually checked my phone, there was all these messages basically going, you'll not believe what's going on in the Champions League draw. And so I didn't see it live, but I saw I sort of saw it unfold over WhatsApp. And like you, I was like, well, that's that's terrible. We're never going to get Lille again. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we did, I mean, it's just, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it was not, you know, after the whole Lewis Hamilton Farrago, you know, with the Grand Prix and the, you know, the application of the rules and the failure of the governing bodies and the, you know, the confusion that was sown by that. Sir to then have our, our elite football conversation, uh, uh, competition falling to bits on technical grounds. I mean, it's not, it wasn't a great couple of days for sport, was it? No, it just, really was. Can I just give a very quick one before the break? Because this brings us back to where we started from, which is unconscious bias. I was absolutely, because I only heard about the first draw. And I thought, oh, brilliant, Lil. And I was absolutely convinced it was UEFA and corruption. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, oh, they don't want the English teams to do well as usual, so they're shafting us. So I listened on TalkSport or whatever it was to the second uh, draw. And luckily, Bayern Munich were, cooked, were pulled first or second. So I thought, well, I don't mind now <laughs> because I, I didn't mind either of the others, although obviously I prefer Lil. And then when we did get Lil, I thought, oh, Maybe they're not so corrupt, but, you know, Platini's been nicked and they're cleaning their house. But, you know, unconscious bias again is what I thought it was a deliberate thing. that they yeah. all can't well, that's it, just years know. and years and years of dodgy decisions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and here's, a, here's another dodgy decision. It's time for a commercial break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. Right, OK, here we are. We are now back focusing on... Well, dirty Leeds came to town at the weekend, and uh, this had the hallmarks of nice, easy victory stamped right across it. Um, Andy, how did you see the side he put out for this? Were you happy with it? Did we feel a bit more comfortable with with the game ahead? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, it was an interesting day, wasn't it? Um, because you know, um, you've you know, we haven't played Leeds in front of a full stadium for a long time, have we? Yeah. So, I mean, I know you didn't go to the game through illness, but um, you know, going to the game, it felt like a. I did, were you there, Trev? 
I was there. Bloody yeah, police so it everywhere. felt like an old school sort Ooh. of police horses, riot police, everybody in funnel. You know, it was a proper category A game, wasn't it? So actually getting into the ground was a bit leery. Um, and, and the atmosphere in the ground, you know, sort of matched it really. Um, so I just want to say that. But team-wise, um, you know, back to a, a, a sort of more conventional team with uh, Thiago Silva in the middle of defence, uh, Rudiger and Aspilicueta either side, Mendy back in goal. Um, and then uh, Alonso and James as sort of more conventional wing-backs, uh, Loftus-Cheek partnering uh, Jorginho, playing through the pain in midfield, mm-hmm. and uh, a front three of Mount and Werner, either side of our false nine, Kai Havertz. Yeah, yeah it was it, it was a, a bit more predictable, this side, I suppose. Conventional, I would say, yeah, rather than predictable. predictable yeah. yeah, nothing's predictable anymore. No. Yeah, conventional. No, yeah. It, ma- it made a lot of sense. But Trev, were you expectant? Well, I mean, I was a little bit worried because I, I do think we've had problems in centre midfield. Well, we've already discussed it. You know, with the injuries to cover, it was a player I like, and obviously to Angolo, who's a player I love. You know, and um, so when Kovacic went down with the virus and all that, because I know Thomas Tuchel to me is a mathematician. I, love, I could almost see his mind make it right. So when, by the time he's back, we'll rest him. And the Kovacic thing threw it a bit because I was just a little bit worried. I mean, I'm, and I love him to bits and I wanted to see him do well. Uh, Ruben lost his, lost his cheek. He's showing a few bits and pieces, but he's not quite up to the speed for me where he should be, certainly defensively. You know what I mean? And so I was a little bit worried. But then again, I thought, well, it'd be all right. They haven't got Calvin Phillips. You know what I mean? And not Bamford either, but Calvin Phillips in particular makes them tick. So I thought it would be all right. You know, but again, you know, we need to score. Well, it's it's up front where... We've played so well. We've played so well against Burnley. We've played so well against Man U. And if we score early, we usually go on and relax and get on with it and do well. But the longer we don't score, and the, the fluency seems to be there, but we're not, you know, that they start getting a little bit tricky. And then, of course, they get a penalty. You know, luckily then Mount got into the game. He, he had a quiet game, but then he scored the equaliser before half time. So you thought all was well. But then, of course, madness in the second half, and the uh, you know two, you know, two penalty Tony Rudiger, you know. So yeah, I mean that, that's a that's a very good point that yeah. Rudiger. I think he's the first defender in God knows how many years to win two penalties. But I think the first ever to win two penalties from open play. Well, I was going to I say mean, you can you can understand it if it's from a corner or a set piece and somebody's bundled him over. But, you know, from open play, I mean, there was most people in the stadium, I would imagine, were going, what's he even doing there? Exactly. I was saying that through the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why are you on the he, edge of the box, really? He's, he's because he's he David could. Luiz. He does believe. He's, he's, he's beginning to believe he's David Luiz. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, uh, you know, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, I love his runs. I mean, you know, one of those days, they, one of one of those ridiculous shots is going to go in. He's hit the bar a couple of times, isn't he? Um, you know, one of them will go in, and then I think there's other going to be dead silence where it's like, oh, one went in. It actually or, went in. <laughs> it's going to go, or, or it's going to go crazy. But you know, this this idea that, but you know, it, he's not the only one. Reese James was at one point playing on the left wing. You know, and it was just like, why? Some of these players have got so much freedom to, you know, to to take up unusual positions. Yeah. It can only be, it can only be strategic. Surely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do do you think that though that th- this has been a little bit of a problem with such a variable side over the last few weeks? Because we were up until we got a number of injuries coming in people would slot into the position where a player had left. We were very good at that, of filling holes. There weren't many holes. And over the last few weeks, we've had way more holes over the pitch when somebody's gone out of position. What do you think, Andy? I'm sorry, Andy. No, you go ahead, Trev. No, I was going to say that, you know, again, I put Mr. Tuchel's mathematical brain, you know, he was able to know when to rest so-and-so because so-and-so comes in. He's He's a squad manager, obviously, it's the modern way. And, of course, we've had the injuries with Angolo out for a while and then Kovacic now down and Jorginho's playing through pain, who's our three main central midfield players. All of them not quite right, although, you know, Jorginho, bless him, is heroically going on as a Ballon d'Or winner should. You know, um, but, uh, 
it's to me the fullback or the wing backs are doing more because this when Chilwell was there it was coming on which was at our peak before he got injured it seems that there's a whole new t- tactical innovation going on with the wing back position where sometimes Chilwell was at centre forward in game you know it, this inside it was an underlapping or whatever they call it where they both come inside uh, one at a time probably. So there's something going on there, which is in the wing-back situation, because those guys seem to be scoring more and more goals. But it's central midfield for me, which needs to be stable. You know, if we can keep N'Golo Kante fit, I think, well, I mean, mean, it's easy to say, but I think we could go on a really nice run. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Jorginho. Have been forever. Championed him, you know, throughout throughout all the bad days of of, um, you know people not not quite you know sort of supporting him, but. I think you need someone next to him mm-hmm. that can, you know, provide provide some solidity. And unfortunately, it isn't Ruben Loftus Cheek, who nope. I don't think is has the football intelligence to play the sophisticated role that Tuca wants him to play. You know, Ruben's been the victim of not really managers not really understanding where to play him or where his strength is he's played so many different positions played 10 he's played eight he's played you know on occasion he's played nine you know so it's 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 he's never really settled into a position and claimed or owned a position he's played more in that double six role against you know next to next to another midfielder just don't think he's quite good enough or or clever enough as a footballer, not as a man, but as a footballer to yeah. to really grasp that. And I think you need sophisticated footballers in that role, which is why Kante and why Kovacic work so well there, because they just have that level of footballing intelligence to to, to make it work. Because the double six is very different to just two players in midfield. Yeah. You know, it's a very specific role. It's a very specific pivot. And I just don't think, I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek unbalances it. You know, when he's in there, I just don't think he's the right player for it. Don't know what the answer is. I'm not down on Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think he's got a lot of strengths. I just don't think in this particular team, he's the best choice. And it's it's a weakened team when we don't have Kovacic and or Kante in the midfield. I, I'd say, for me, the, the, the problem is, Jorginho is the wrong partner for Ruben and Ruben's the wrong partner for Jorginho mm. because it, it seems that Tuchel, when he plays those two, he plays Jorginho deeper and plays Ruben ahead of him. And that really doesn't see, suit Jorginho because Georgie needs the, the solid player alongside to allow him to be Jorginho. I just don't think but they're going to work is, as a pair. What is Jorginho in your mind? Is a register. For me, yeah, whatever that means, I consider he's the man who keeps things ticking over and he allows transitions to happen. He creates that connection, I think, between defence, midfield and into... So he needs the, to sit pretty deep, doesn't he? Yeah. No, he, he needs to sit. He, he works better with, say, when he's playing with Kovacic, who I think they play really brilliantly together. What happens is Kovacic may be ahead of him, but as soon as there's defensive work, Kovacic drops in behind Jorginho a lot of the time yeah. and clears up. Yeah. And I think that's quite an important thing. Ruben doesn't do that yeah, for Georgie. I, yeah, yeah, so what you're saying is you need a player that can work around Jorginho. Yes. I think that the yes. idea of Jorginho sitting fairly deep is not a problem. You know, he's no, not going to be... if a, he's the only one, He's not Makaleli. You know, he's not, he's, not, he's not a defensive midfielder. What he is is someone that... The help, as you said, helps break the transition. You know, is the outlet is you know keeps the tempo going. You know, he's he. You know, the reason he get he has more touches than anybody else is he's the outlet for everybody else to kind of keep the thing ticking. But he but his role is not there to go around and kick people and and uh, and and to provide a defensive shield. What you do need is somebody with footballing intelligence around him to mark the space. And that's why Kante and Kovacic are really good. They don't mark men, they mark space. And Mm. you can always play Kante and Kovacic ahead of Jorginho. That's no problem. But you're quite right. You know, when the different phases of the game happen, they need to know where they're going to be. And that's the problem with Ruben Loftus-Cheek is I don't quite... I don't think he quite understands where he needs to be. I just don't think it's a natural game for him. Trev? I'm just going to say, I think, to to agree with you both, but maybe to put it in slightly different words... To me, Jorginho needs to have 
a little bit more freedom uh, to think. He's a thinking sort of player, isn't he? So oh, he's he's the man, as you say, who keeps break, you know, makes things, starts things off. And if he's got to be thinking because he's now the responsible the midfield player defensively, then he's not able freely to think as he would like to do. And when you've got Kovacic, who's got that brain, and as Andy rightly says, in this way, when you play the double six like that, they've both got to do both things. So therefore, sometimes you'll, but they've got to know when to step in and when not to. And because Jorginho's the type of player, the brain player just starts things off, keeps the tempo going. Whereas Kovacic, you know, is a ball carrier. But, but, but they've both got to know when, when to defend. When, and of course, with Ruben Loftus-Cheek, he knows to go forward. And if he gets away with it, because he's a big, strong lad who can dribble, great. But if he loses the ball, Jorginho's not the man. No. You know what I mean? To cover for that. And he is losing the ball a bit. I think, I think what's interesting is that, is that modern football, to use a lazy phrase, is uh, is a game of phases, and you know I was sitting recently in 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 a seat that wasn't my normal seat, and there were older let's call them older generation fans around me that were going mad about us playing out of defence. Get rid, get rid of the ball. It's like you know as if what we're going to do is boot the ball up to the big lad up front who's going to knock it down and then we're going to be on the front foot and then we'll be on the back foot. And that's not modern football. Modern football is played in phases. You build from the back, you you beat the press, you know, which the opposition are going to be working towards. That's why Jorginho is so important because he's a key factor in beating the press. Then you're in an attacking phase and then, you know, then you're bringing the fullbacks in to support the attack. And that's, you know, that's a complex system. And, and that's what most of the elite clubs are doing. It's not a case of get rid and, uh, and and try and hold the ball up and all this stuff from the from the 80s and the 90s football's tra- you know moved on from them and and you need players with elite mentality to be able to do that and I'm not down on Ruben I'm not sure he's an he's, he's an elite mentality player I just don't think he is no, um, maybe you know, not. And, and he's had an awful lot of chances yeah, and he's, he's not a kid anymore you know he's 25 but he's had a lot of injuries I still think but you know personally I mean uh, maybe I've been a bit liberal here that he could still learn if he gets few opportunities. And maybe this is what uh, Mr. Tuchel's thinking as well. But he has no option at the moment because of injuries. But get him in there and he can learn, you know, a bit. Obviously, we can't be losing games or, you know, while he learns. I think, I think last word on Ruben from me is I think he's a great squad player, but I'm not sure he's ever going to be the main pick in the first team. Yeah, and you can say but, that about a few of them, can't you? Barkley, yeah, certainly. You exactly. Can say that about. Well, I, I think, you know, if Newcastle came in with 30 million quid for Ross Barkley, would you take it? Oh, you'd bite their arm off for it. <laughs> yeah, you would. Definitely, 30 million. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's what <laughs> I'm Tell you what, Kerry, you ain't getting 30 million for Ross Barkley. <laughs> you never know. If he's the only player they can buy in January, True. <laughs> there's a chance. All right, look, lastly, um, Jorginho, yet again, um, fantastic with the penalties. How good was he in changing it up for the second? I always get so nervous when you see the same player coming up to take a second penalty and the second one is even more important than the first one. Trev, last word from you on this. Well, of course, that was uh, all three penalties were uh, in. But what I noticed there was that their goalkeeper gave himself away, really, because the, the first penalty, great penalty, high to the keeper's right. And, you know, he took him. But their goalkeeper, he was, a, he was a little bit rattled with the second penalty. Like he got booked before the penalty was taken. And uh, you, I felt, and I was worried about it, because I thought, oh, if Jorginho puts it on the same side, I was thinking this. I don't know why psychologically. If he puts it where he put it before, that kid's going to go there. He's determined. But Jorginho read that himself and changed sides. Although, in many ways, he doesn't have to change sides because he's that good that he can delay where he's going to put it until he actually sees the goalkeeper move. But I felt that goalkeeper was always thinking, oh, he's going to put it there again because he's a young keeper and he was going to go that way. You know, but Jorginho, he can hold his position, which is why it does that little delay probably, until he sees the goalie move and then he he can put it either way he wants, it seems. So I'm glad because I was a bit worried and it almost hit the post. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, anyway, we, we ended up running out 3-2 winners. And, you know, we've had a lot of late goals, as you said earlier. Yeah. So, look, no, But let's got... not kid ourselves. That was a great performance. No, no, again, let's not kid ourselves. We got away with that, and we, 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 you know, we've been, we've been, you know, we've been unlucky. We were unlucky against Zenit. You know, we were unlucky against Man United. We were unlucky against Burnley. Right. Watford was a bit of a, you know, was was a bit of a, you know, a catastrophe as well. West Ham was ways, West even though we got there. West Ham was, you know, was West was poor. We're you know, we're on this league. run of games at the moment where we don't look convincing. And you know, I know we're going to come on and, and preview Everton in midweek and Wolves. And you know, we really need to get to a point where we're not relying on you know luck or or bad luck, you know, we're just going back to what we were doing in the early stages of the season and controlling games because we're more than capable of doing it. And I hope with players coming back and with, you know, with, with, you know, a, a decent balance to the side, we can get back to that dominating, controlling games thing that we do so well. Yeah, I mean, it's yet again, it's a December dip, you know, and we, we know what happened with the last December dip. <laughs> so let's not even think about that. And there's, right, only two, there's only two points in it, you know, so we've got everything yeah, to play for. So We're sure. still like eight points ahead of West Ham. And yeah. always West Ham always beat us. So every t- if you look at the last few times we've won the league, West Ham have beaten us. <laughs> I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Right, look, we, we should just do a very quick round-up. We've got Everton at home and Wolves away. So how do we see this? The return of our manager... Spanish waiter. <laughs> what do you think, Trev? Um, what What are your thoughts on Everton and Wolves and predictions for both as well, please? I think we should beat uh, Everton. I mean, I mean, I, I, I hate to be too over optimistic because you know football's football, but they did I, beat I, Arsenal, you know. I know, I know. Which you know, and Arsenal were not bad. I'm not going to make any facetious comments, you know. Uh, and uh, but I. I think we should be an odd goal, although, you know, the Richarlison's injured, he seems always to play fairly well against us. You know, uh, I think that win last week's been good for them, you know, and they've had an extra day off and they should do well. Wolves are a good team. I mean, I've only watched them on the TV, obviously, they're, they're new iteration, but, you know, they seem quite good defensively and they do the typical Portuguese thing, you know, just stay in their own half and try and hit you on the break. You know, and uh, we'll need to be fairly. Well, I think we're quite good against teams like that when we're away. But we need to be need to be on our toes. Although that is Jimenez. Bad. He's out. Yeah, he got sent off, didn't he? Yeah, he got sent off, didn't yeah. he? So without him, they are a, a lot less of a team. You know. So hopefully, again, if we could get six points there, right? Then we're then we're right up there again. As I say, the gap's eight points at the moment. I mean, I see, I see West Ham always drawing. I don't know. I think they're playing tonight, aren't they? Um, you know, um, then going into the Brighton game, I've, you know, uh, or we've got an away game, Villa at, at Boxing Day, and then there's Brighton. So, turn of the year, but I expect by the time we play Liverpool at the beginning of January, we should be clicking over again because most players will be back. Yeah. So what are your score predictions for Everton first and then Wolves? 3-1, I'd say uh, Everton, or even 3-0. But I'll give them a goal, 3-1. And then Wolves, 1-0 to us. OK, fair enough. Andy, your last thoughts on Everton-Wolves games? Well, Everton have got a lot of injuries um, and they have been on a poor run of form that result they got uh, was a bit of an anomaly um, I think that with players returning and having a confidence boosting win against Leeds and I think a reset is in order and I, I'm confident that we can uh, I think we can we can get a comfortable out of that I'm going to go 3-0 for Everton uh, Wolves always tricky up at Molyneux um, always tricky but Jimenez being out uh, suspended after that red card is a big bonus for us um, we've always looked good against them but we've always let in silly goals um, I, I think that uh, Trev's right I don't, I don't think that's going to be the harder game um, I'm going to say 2-1 to us I think six points going into Christmas and then I think that we will steady the ship and uh, in time for that very difficult run we've got in January yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I, I think Everton should be the easier of the two. I'm going to go with 3-0 for that. Uh, Wolves away, and I suppose you'll be taking your Benitez scarf, Andy? Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I, 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 if, it were, if it weren't so cold, I'd be showing off my Benitez tattoo. 
<laughs> it's true, he does actually have well, one, I everyone. I didn't, I didn't know you were that big, Andy, to be able to get a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and about, lastly... About <laughs> and the, the Wolves score, I'm going to go with 2-0 to us. Right, well, that is it. That's the end of this slightly longer show, but we gave you one big bumper issue here. Um, as always, Andy, thank you ever so much. Trevor, it's been way too long since we had you on the Chelsea. Got to get you back in soon. It's been fantastic. And, uh, you know, hearing your tales, as always, is always good fun. Um, you know, just, just please... Just stop wearing Manchester City kits, you hey, know. Hey, um, come on. Hey. We'll have it. We'll go back <laughs> next week, stay at the hotel and have it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. That was the Chelsea. Thank you ever so much. Come on, you blues. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Podcast Network.